It's something for nothing. The Rush Fan Cast, Jerry and Steve with you. Jerry, we're going to answer a question today that many of our listeners have been asking. Do you know what that question is? Do you wear boxers or briefs? <laughs> I'm not going to answer that. That's too personal, oh, okay. Jerry. <laughs> no, when are you going to talk about Victor? Oh, and the answer to that is today. Today is the day we're going to talk about Victor. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Rush Fancast. Instagram, you can find us at The Rushcast. Email Jerry, therushcast at gmail.com. Take your guess whether Jerry wears boxers or briefs. <laughs> Shoot him an email. Follow or subscribe via your favorite podcast app. The bass intro and outro, that is Lex. And I'm going to just let it out there, Jer. Boxer briefs. Boxer briefs, that's your answer. That's for me. I don't know about you. You're a little bit country and a little bit rock and roll. Exactly, exactly. You got an email to get us started? I do. This is from Dan. What's up, Dan? He starts off by asking to sign up for our email list, which I think is a great idea, right? Of course. Everybody should email you and say, put me on the email list. Right. I only send out one email a week. It's when the episode comes out. It's just a little bit about the episode and that's it. We are not spammers. No. So he says, Please sign me up for your email list. In listening to old episodes, I hear you giving away products, and I wish I would have listened earlier and signed up sooner. Because that's another thing that we did. We've given away a couple of books, I think. Yeah, yeah. And we've used the email list as the, like the entry. Right. So he goes on to say, I've been listening to your podcast for just over two weeks, and I'm about halfway through your episodes. Wow. Which is a lot of yeah. episodes to listen to. It's been fun to hear your progression through the Rush albums. The interviews you've done bring in so many different voices and angles, which help fill in more about Rush's history. My obligatory origin story. I started listening to Rush around 1990 when my high school-aged sister got some dubbed tapes from a boy in her class that really wanted to share his love of Rush. She had no interest, so I grabbed the tapes and her 2112 Rush Permanent Waves and Grace Under Pressure. I really love all four of those albums. Later on, I ended up buying Counterparts and Roll the Bones, but neither one really drew me in. Many years later, I was able to go to my first concert, which was the Clockwork Angels Tour in Dallas. I was so pumped when they started the set with Subdivisions. I had no idea how powerful that song was until Getty started with his keyboard opening. I still get chills every time I hear that song. What a thrill it was when he announced that they were recording that show for a DVD. Imagine my first Rush concert being captured on DVD so I can go back and live it all again. When Rush came back to Dallas for the R40 tour, I got my wife and seven and five-year-old sons to join me. My boys fell asleep at intermission and missed the rest of the show. <laughs> How do you fall asleep in the middle of a concert? I know they're just kids, but it's so loud. Yeah, you're seven or five. I've fallen asleep in loud places before. Not a Rush show. I bought them t-shirts that were many sizes too big so they wouldn't outgrow them too soon. We still have all of our shirts hanging in our closets and pull them out to relive our concert experience. Thanks for your hard work and dedication to the podcast. It brings back so many good memories and helps me learn about the band at a much deeper level than simply listening to the songs. Uh, and then that was Dan. Thanks, Dan. We really appreciate you listening. And Jared, I love emails like that because that's what makes doing this podcast worth it. Guys like Dan. Yeah, I'm glad we can help deepen people's understanding of a thing we don't really understand ourselves, but at least talk about every week, right? <laughs> exactly. We're deepening our understanding and in turn, <laughs> deepening our listeners' understanding. That's right. So today we're going to deepen our understanding of Victor, Jer. And 
this is an interesting one for me because it's almost kind of like listening to this album for the first time because I really, honestly, did not give this a fair shake when it first came out. How about you? Neither did I. Nope. Did not give it a fair shake at all. And because of that, it's almost like getting a new Rush album, sort of, or at least a new Alex album for me. Yeah, it was really listening to this. I remember a couple of songs when I was listening to it. I was like, oh yeah, I remember this one. Shut up, shutting up. I remember Mm -hmm. vividly. But most of the other songs, I was surprised I didn't remember them at all. I don't think I gave, I don't think I listened to this album more than one or two times when it came out. It might've been because Test for Echo came out the same year. Maybe I was just focused on Rush and didn't give Alex the time he should have had. That's right. And I, I think that's probably correct. And probably because it is so different in a lot of ways to the music that I was listening to at the time as well. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Victor is the first and only solo album by Alex Lifeson. Now, Victor is a pseudonym Alex used for himself. I was surprised to see that. I thought Victor was the name of his band, but I guess Victor is Alex. Yeah. I thought it was the band too. I just assumed anyway. Released January 9th, 1996, the same year as Test for Echo, recorded at Lurkst Sound, which is Alex's home studio, October 1994 through July 1995. So he took his time with this. Reached number 99 on the Billboard 200 in 1996. That's pretty good. Yeah, it is. I was surprised when I read that too. And received a 1997 Juno Award nomination for Best New Group. And as Daniel Catullo told us not too long ago, Juno is a big deal in Canada. Yeah, it's a huge deal. Yeah. I didn't know that either, Steve. Look at the research you're doing, man. Care to guess who won the Juno Award for Best New Group in 1997? You'll never get it. (laughs) Okay, then I'm not even going to try. The Killjoys, of course. Oh, I don't think I've ever heard of the Killjoys. I'm not sure anyone has. (laughs) <laughs> Although that's a great band name. It is a good band name. Care to guess the singles, Jer, from this album? This is going to be impossible, but do you want to give it a try? Mm, shut up, shutting up. No. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> Don't care. I am the spirit and promise, which does not surprise me because that seems to be the singly song on the record, for me at least. Yes, that's very true. Contributors to the album, Jer, Edwin, who is the vocalist for I Mother Earth, mm-hmm. appears on tracks 1, 2, 6, 9, and 11. DeBello provides the vocals on track 3. Les Claypool, we know Les, plays bass on the big dance. Bill Bell provides guitars. Blake Manning on drums. And a few other contributors, Peter Cardinale on bass on tracks 4, 7, and 10. Colleen Allen on horns on track 10, and Adrian Zivaginovich, Alex's son, programming on tracks 5 and 9. That's right. Two of the coolest songs, I think, on the album. Very, very cool songs. But why don't we start with track one, Jer, which is Don't Care. I don't need another fight 
Now, Jar Alex presents himself here with this killer opening riff. Your thoughts, sir? You know, I think this song has a very Vapor Trail sound to it, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. This is years before Vapor Trails, though. Yeah, kind of foreshadowing Vapor Trails, right? Yeah, it's very heavy, very heavy. Yeah, this is the heaviest track on the album, don't you think? Uh, there's one other one that it's it's a little metal at the beginning. But this song just screams to me, Alex letting out his anger. This is going to be an angry record, don't you think? Yeah, there's definitely some bombast to some of these songs. This song is a very disturbing song. Alex wrote the lyrics, yes. except for the title track, Victor, um, which is from a poem. But this song's got some stuff behind it, man. There's there's some therapy needed <laughs> for these <laughs> lyrics, don't you think? Oh, yeah. Do you want to go through the lyrics like we always do? Yeah. Well, first of all, I found a couple of quotes from a couple of interviews. One was from an, an interview with Metronome. Okay. If it's a magazine or if it was just an online thing. And Alex said, I set out to make a record that was disturbing, that was going to cause, <laughs> that was going to cause people to ask me questions. I wanted it to cause me to think, which was really putting me in an unfamiliar situation. This wasn't meant to be a showcase for my abilities as a guitarist. The challenge I was looking for was in writing songs. And then in a different magazine, Guitar Shop, he said, he said, I wanted to have some diversity and some variety. And at the same time, I wanted to create something that would be unsettling and disturbing and would cause you to have a reaction to it. I'd much rather put out something that makes people think, what's going through that guy's head? <laughs> and this song, this song. What's going through his head? What is going through his head in some of these songs? First of all, as uh, on the whole, I also read in a different interview that he wanted to make an album that explored the different parts about love in general. Okay. And he said in a, in an interview with a rock and with a magazine called rock and roll reporter that he wrote, he wanted to write this album exploring the different aspects of love because he had been with his wife, Charlene since they were in high school and he was now 42. And he said that his relationship was getting a little stale Okay. Because they had been together for so long. So he wanted, you know, to he they worked on their marriage and brought some life back to their marriage and he wanted to explore the different aspects of love and relationships. So that's really like the theme of this entire album. But it's very, very dark. Yeah. Extremely dark. He digs yeah. deep into his soul on this record. <laughs> he does. And this first song, Don't Care. The person might be a psychopath. Like the character in this song just might be an intense, crazy person. Now, is it a character, though? I guess that's the question. Is it a character or is it Alex? I mean, I hope it's a character. <laughs> I'm going to hope it's a character. Usually when we go through Rush songs, I like to think that the perspective of the, the lyrics is from Neil or when we talked about my favorite headache perspective of Getty. I'm hoping this is a character. Maybe it's not Alex, but maybe it's just some deep, dark feelings Alex has that he doesn't present to other people, but they're deep in his head somewhere. Maybe? Yeah, I'll buy that. I'll buy that for a dollar, Steve. Okay. I'm going to make you interpret these lyrics, though, Jared, because I, I can't do it. You can't do it at all? Shut up and turn off the light. I'll take you deep right through the night. Just leave before you're in my sight, because I don't need another fight. 
Yeah, I don't. There's not much to interpret here, Steve. This is a pretty straightforward song. The name of the song is "Don't Care," <laughs> and I don't need your sympathy. You'll get no tender love from me. Kneel before me on your knee. I'm just trying to get you to talk about this chair. It's what I'm really trying to do. You, you're not going to get me to talk about this. This is a family program. Do it hard, make me free. Do it hard, make me free. Do it, make me free. Do it hard, make me free. Yeah, this is pretty self-explanatory. You're not going to bait me into okay. All right, especially later on. I don't even know if we should even say some of the lyrics later on. Yeah, probably not. Probably not. But I I think (laughs) I think you get the idea. Don't want your pity. Don't want your care. Don't care for giving. Don't care for fair. Yeah. Don't want your kindness. Don't want your heart. Don't care for wanting. Don't care for smart. And after that, I don't think we should read. No. <laughs> it gets pretty graphic from here on in. But it's definitely a song about maybe using someone, mm-hmm. just using them for their body and just using them as a diversion from your life and just not even really giving them a second thought right. about the, them as a person. But probably for Alex, more of a fantasy than a reality situation. Yeah, I think, like you said, it maybe it is about the feelings we sometimes have being disassociated from other people. Mm-hmm. He's definitely he's definitely honing in on that. But other than that, you know, I'm not, I don't really want to get too far into these into these lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> I will say though that like the, the riff is crazy good. Oh yeah, it's amazing, and the solo again matches the tone of this insane song perfectly. It's not really a traditional solo either. It's more just like wailing guitars, you know? Yeah, it's very off kilter. Yeah. But overall, it's a great way to start a record. Oh, great way to start a record. And after listening to this, I'm like, why haven't I been listening to this for 20 years? (laughs) I know. I know. You know what? I also read that they were going, Alex was going to do a 25th anniversary reissue of this album with an extra song, but COVID threw a monkey wrench into those plans. So sort of like how it's not really a, and wasn't really like a, like a big reissue or anything, but Getty reissued his solo album for record store day on Mm -hmm. vinyl. So I think it was supposed to be something like that. Maybe hopefully someday in the future, we'll get an extra song. That'd be great. That'd be great. So what are your thoughts on Edwin's vocals on this track, Jer? You know, he has a very, I've never listened to, I'm Mother Earth, and I feel like I have heard the band name, but know nothing about them. Mm-hmm. And at first, I didn't like his vocals at all. I just thought they were too harsh. But the more I listen to it, the more I like it. I think his 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 vocals really suit these songs. They really bring out some of the emotion in these songs. Yeah, I I, I felt the same way. I wasn't in love with it at first, but it grew on me. He's got a different style on this first song than he does on the second song. Yes. Which we're going to play next, which is called Promise.
Now, Edwin again on vocals on this track, but it's a different tone that he's got on this song. Yeah, well, he definitely matches the, the tone of the song because this song is very... I'm, it definitely is probably the rushiest of all the songs on this album, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. And the most accessible, I would think, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Radio-friendly is, is what I wrote down here. Yeah, but it's another great riff. This, this album is just filled with riffs. Well, it's Alex Lifeson. How could it not be filled with great <laughs> riffs, right? I know. He said in that one quote that he wasn't looking you know, to, for it to be a guitar record, but some of these songs are, are great guitar songs. Yeah, just amazing. And the lyrics on this one, to me, are about overcoming addiction, right? I mean, it's pretty simple. I think so, yeah. Definitely about overcoming whatever kind of pattern you find yourself in. I know he mentions, you know, drinking and smoking, you know, so that's probably the the most obvious link to some kind of addiction. But again, if you try to think about it in under the umbrella of what Alex said, the, the theme of the album was, which was love and relationships. It could also be, you know, a promise within a relationship to be a certain way at the beginning and then find yourself in a different spot. How many ever years later, you know? Could it be a promise you made to a girlfriend or a wife to quit smoking, but you're still sneaking one on the back porch kind of thing? <laughs> yeah, it could definitely be that. Absolutely. Or just maybe even a promise to yourself. Right. He could be, he could be singing to himself. One more glass, a million more days, one more smoke, release me from my ways. Break the mold, break your back, break the promise you made. Seek the world now. Don't look back. Make your promise today. It's really catchy too. Oh, it's very catchy. But this, uh, the lyrics also remind me of my uh, strained relationship with exercising. <laughs> you have a relationship with exercising, Jared? I wasn't aware of that. No, that's, that's the problem. My relationship is non-existent. But every once in a while, I'll go through, you know, I was like, well, t- you know, I'm finally going to start, you know, moving every day in some way. Your Stairmaster told me that you stiffed him on Valentine's Day. Oh, it's the worst. <laughs> my st- my Stairmaster hates me. <laughs> now, the drums on this track are amazing. Yeah. Shout out to Blake Manning. The cymbals, just, I mean, just wailing on the cymbals on this track. Yeah, you know, the whole album sounds really good. I mean, Alex, like, did the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Produced it like engineered it, mixed it. He did a fantastic job just getting every instrument to sound great. Yeah. And as I mentioned at the beginning, he took a while to record this record and it shows that he painstakingly put this together. Yeah. And it was in his home studio, but I'm sure that home studio is pretty stellar. It wasn't like Dave Grohl's home studio when he made the first Foo Fighters record, right? (laughs) With a cassette tape. Right. He had a little bit better equipment and the solo on this, you know, I know we, we talk about Alex's solos all the time, but this, this is my favorite solo on the record. I think, what do you think? Oh yeah. Without a doubt. Not counting the almost song length solo that is shut up, shutting up, but as a solo in a, in a self-contained like regular song, because some of these songs in this album are not regular songs, Yeah, but in like a, like in a regular song, this is definitely a, the, the best solo on the album. But this is a regular song, and I just love how the song slows down here, and you can kind of feel the struggle he has with quitting whatever his vice is that he's talking about at the time, right? Yeah, the tone of the lyrics and the way Edwin is singing them and the whole 
album and, and just the whole way the song is is created and how it moves from one section to another. Uh, Alex was hitting on all cylinders when he was recording this thing. Yeah. Again, why haven't we listened to this for 20 years? What, what's wrong with us? I don't know, Steve. What's wrong with you? No wonder our listeners <laughs> have been saying, why don't you talk about Victor? You got to talk about Victor. Yeah. And we were hesitant to talk about Victor because we both remembered it as not being our favorite album. Probably because it doesn't sound anything like Rush. Right. That's probably why we dismissed it so quickly. And we shouldn't have. Such fools. Well, you know, I think we're a little bit more open-minded musically now than we were 20 years ago. Wouldn't you say that? Oh, yeah. You and I. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, you were just saying you went to see Billie Eilish last night. 20 years ago, Jerry never would have gone to see Billie Eilish because she was a baby, number one. <laughs> and, <laughs> no, but you're right. I would never have gone to, I don't know if she's pop or whatever she is. I took my daughter and two of her friends but I wanted to go see Billy Eilish too. I could have just gotten them tickets and dropped them off or, or whatever, but right. I wanted to see Billy Eilish too. And it was a great concert. So yeah, I'm much better at opening myself up to different types of music now that I'm old and gray. <laughs> well, I'm glad we opened ourselves up to this one, Jaron. Let's open ourselves up to track three. This is called start today. You can hurt like no one can. You're such a child for such a man. You need strength. You need to take a stand. Just stop looking at me for a helping hand. When you're ready, we'll be here. I can help you to lose your fear. So, Jared, I've got a quote here. This is from the Power Windows website. Our good buddy, Eric Hansen's 2112.net, posted this. It was originally from Rock and Roll Reporter, Volume 4, Issue 43, February 1996. And Alex talking about DeBello, who provided the vocals for this track. She's great, isn't she? She's actually been around for a very long time. She's very well known in Europe and Canada but she hasn't done much in the States. She moved to Los Angeles, was doing a lot of stuff with different songwriters. She did some writing with Queensryche, and she also did work with Burt Bacharach. So her experience <laughs> is really broad. There's such a sense of dynamics in her voice. When we did start today, she was very specific about the direction I wanted in terms of the dynamics of the performance. Going from that aggressive, almost cocky performance in the earlier verses to that real plaintive quality where she just reaches in and touches your heart. It's got everything, all the qualities, everything I wanted it to be. Yeah, she's a great singer. I've never heard of her before. No, me neither. But she definitely brings a lot to this song because this song is written, it appears to be from a woman's point of view, at least if you're going to just go by lyrics like, I am pink and you are blue. Right, right. And I love how she goes from the spoken word parts to just belting out the choruses with just incredible energy. Yeah, I know. Her voice definitely 
gets up there. You know, the one thing I find about this song is as soon as I heard the riff at the beginning, it immediately reminded me of Four Sticks by Led Zeppelin. Yes, yes. You know, I knew it sounded familiar and I couldn't place it, but that's it. Yes. Right? That's definitely Oh, it. totally. Yeah. Totally. Okay. And I was, I just, I love it though, still. because It's a little different. It's got an extra couple of beats in there, but it definitely is Zeppelin-esque. And I think she does a good job in the chorus of hitting those Robert Plantian mm-hmm. type of notes too. And I love the change in guitars on the chorus. It goes from heavy riffs to like strumming guitars there in the chorus. Yeah. It's just great. It is great. Should we go through the lyrics a little bit? This is a good song. I need you to hold me tightly in your arms. I need you to show me if I might be wrong. I am pink and you are blue. Can I trust my whole life to you? Definitely from a female's perspective, I think. Yeah, I I agree. It's definitely the beginning of a relationship. Just don't take me for some fool when I need to depend on you. I am not your part-time job. What you get is what you are. You can hurt me like no one can. You're such a child for such a man. Is this woman talking to Alex, do you think? Well, she's definitely talking to her man, whether or not, you know, Alex is thinking of himself. I'm not sure. But I think, and lyrically, this might be my favorite song in the album. I think, you know, there was a, a thing I read too. I read a couple of interviews where Alex was saying how he wasn't sure lyrically if it was, you know, some of the lyrics are just like, a B rhyme scheme. And he was mm-hmm. maybe thinking that it, that wouldn't be enough. But I think this song, especially his lyrics are really good because he yeah. hadn't written a rush song since what making memories. Yeah. Something like that. So I think he did a, a great job, especially on this song. Well, like we said with Getty, I think Alex probably learned a lot from Neil writing the lyrics. I mean, these yeah. don't sound anything like Neil's lyrics. Nope. Not at all. They also don't sound anything like the lyrics from the first Rush album, which I think are pretty weak. That's true. That's very true. Yeah, this is a really good song, especially the, the line, you can hurt like no one can. You're such a child for such a man. Yeah. That's a great line. It is a great line. It is a great line. So let's, let's go through a little bit more. You need strength. You need to take a stand. Just stop looking to me for a helping hand. When you're ready, I will be here. I can help you lose your fear. You better stand up on your feet if you ever want to feel my heat. Clear your mind of those things gone by. You can't change the past. Why even try? You can build upon all you've learned. You can start today. This song might also be about the thing I was talking about earlier, about his relationship with his wife. Mm -hmm. This could be the beginning of a new phase in their relationship. From her point of view. Right. But not her writing it. Alex writing it from Charlene's point of view. Right. Or what he perceives to be her point of view. Yes. Because it's all about, you know, trying to, you know, that when you're ready, I will be here. I can help you lose your fear. It could just be past relationships in general, being heartbroken or being let down by people. And you have to kind of forget all of those things and start trusting the person that you're with. That's an interesting exercise for a relationship to write a song from your wife's perspective. Right. I think you should try that, Jer. I don't think I should. (laughs) (laughs) It would be mostly about cleaning stuff off the floor that I drop. (laughs) 
and that's not that doesn't make for a good song at all. So in the song itself, when DeBello says start today, it goes into this atmospheric section with a, a tremendous solo from Alex. I know I just said the previous song had the best solo on the record, but this one's great too. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of dynamic qualities to all of these songs. The solo on this song reminded me of the Chain Lightning solo that you like so much. Hmm. Did you hear that? No. I mean, it doesn't sound backwards, but it has a similar quality to it, for me at least. I didn't pick up on that, no. You'll have to go back and check it out again. Yeah, definitely. And I also love the fact that the song just ends cold right after the second chorus. And that's it. That's it. That's such a rush way to end a song or an Alex way to end a song, right? Yeah. And it also fits in with what the song is about. Start today. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Like just got to go and start. Got to go and start. Don't fade (laughs) out this song. We got to start right now. Right. The song is ending. Just start right now. But the thing that made me sad about this song is I really wanted to hear DeBello on another song and she didn't sing again. Yeah, that's true. I would like to hear more from her. She was great. Yeah, she was. Absolutely. All right. Anything else on Start Today, Jared, before we move on? No. I mean, I love the lyrics, and I think it's a great song. All right, then. Track four on Victor is Mr. X. as I mentioned at the beginning, Jer, a new bassist on this track, Peter Cardinale, joins on bass. This tune is only 2 minutes and 22 seconds, but a very cool and heavy instrumental interlude, don't you think? Absolutely. Um, I hate to say this because I don't want people to get mad at me, but I actually like this instrumental more than I like a couple of Rush instrumentals. What? Did you just... Did you just say that? <laughs> Blasphemy, Jer. Yes. How dare you? I know. I know. Which Rush song specifically do you put below Mr. X? Uh, do I? Do I? I don't know. You just said you did. I don't want to say, Steve. Okay. All right. You don't have to. It's a question. How about that? The instrumental song in, I'm thinking of is, is a question. Okay. But what I wrote down for this is, This is just Alex being Alex, right? Yeah, absolutely. There's parts of this song that are very cinematic to me. I could see them in in a movie. 
I've got a feeling that this is going to be a lot of what we're going to hear on Envy of None. Similar, no? I don't have the slightest idea. I mean, it, given the first single that was out, I don't know. It might be a, like, a, more of the programming stuff from some of the other songs. Interesting, though. Yeah, that's definitely, I really like it. A nice, concise, two and a half minute instrumental. It's fantastic. All right, great. Let's move on. Track five is at the end. He opens the books. I've got a quote from Alex. This is also from 2112.net, Power Windows website. My solo work in At the End, all that bluesy stuff, especially at the end of it, is really emotion-packed. Actually, there's a really good story behind that one. I had a rough day that day. I had a couple of meetings that didn't go well, and I was feeling uptight. I was really pissed off. So I plugged the guitar straight into the amp, said, screw this, and started working. It got really edgy. Bill Bell was there, and I said to him, we need a drink. I went upstairs, got a half a bottle of Jack Daniels and a six-pack of beer, and we sat there, drank the stuff down in a matter of minutes. Then we did some more takes. The next day, I came back downstairs to listen to it, and I'm thinking, well, we had quite a bit to drink last night, (laughs) so maybe this one didn't turn out so well. But I listened to it and went, wow, this is great. That's from Guitar for the Practicing Musician, February 1996. Your thoughts, sir? I think this is definitely a bizarre song. Yes, yes. Alex's son, Adrian, 
collaborates with Alex on this one. And Alex does the spoken word vocals. Right. Just like the title song, Victor. Yes. He's doing spoken word. And I, this is a great song. I love this song. I love it too. And I'm going to give you two bands that I think it sounds a little similar to. Okay. Tell me what you think. Number one is King Crimson. I know you're not a big King Crimson fan, but it's got a little bit of a King Crimson feel toward the middle there. Yeah. Ethereal and just yeah. bizarre. And the other band I was thinking about was The Cure. The Cure. Hmm. Depends on which song we're talking about. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe something like Fascination Street. It's got a little bit of that vibe to it. Yeah. I think that this song really shows Alex's interest in other types of music than just rock and roll. Oh, yeah. I found in that same article, I think the, the Rock and Roll Reporter article that you quoted from earlier, the person interviewing him in the Rock and Roll Reporter article asked him what he thought about today's music scene, which was like back in the, right. the 90s, obviously. He said, well, some of that I really like and some of it I don't put much merit in. One of the things I've come to realize is how easily we become judgmental of what other people do and are. I think my experience of the last couple of years has really tempered that. If I think something sucks, that doesn't matter. It's how the people that are doing it feel. With music, if you want to go out and play and you're not very good, big deal. It's still such a great thing. It's such an important thing. So I think that this shows that, you know, Alex isn't afraid to try a type of music that maybe he thinks that some Rush fans wouldn't really dig. It's more like electronic music than anything else. Yeah, I don't think he made this record for Rush fans. I think he made this record for himself. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if anything is going to be like Envy of None, I think it might be like this song. Yeah, yeah. And in the Rush spirit, you know, I'm going to make something I like, and if other people like it, great. If they don't, don't care. Yeah. Like the first song yeah. says, don't care, right? Right, yeah, absolutely. And he shouldn't. No, because this is a fantastic song. I think. Lyrically, it's a great song. And it just shows how amazing a guitarist Alex is because no matter what style of music he's playing, his guitar work just fits it perfectly. And his yeah. guitar work on this song fits the mood of this song perfectly, which is different from any Rush song he ever did. Yeah, that's right. I agree 100% Steve. Okay. And what about the lyrics? What do you think these lyrics are about? I believe that it's about a man whose wife has died. Okay, that's what I thought too. And as he's looking over these photos and looking back on his life, he decides to commit suicide because he's in so much pain and grief. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit that right on, Jer. And what happens at the end, the last line is, as he finally aims the gun. What happens after that? Right. I'm assuming he, he's aiming it at himself. No, but does he pull the trigger? We don't know. Oh, I'm, I'm assuming he does. <laughs> but that's just the kind of person I am. But it leaves it open-ended, right? It absolutely does. Should we read some of these lyrics? Absolutely. I, I, you know, but the thing is, I would listen to an entire album of Alex just reading stuff behind this kind of music. <laughs> I would I totally would just like poetry in the background with him creating a song around it. I, I, I think the song is great. 
So do you think the real reason we like this so much is because we're now much more open-minded than we were 20 years ago? Or is it just that we just like anything that Alex Getty or Neil does? I would hope it's the former. I hope so too. I hope we're just a little better people than we were all those years ago. (laughs) (laughs) He opens the book, looks at the scenes from yesterday. I assume this is a photo album, right? Yes. How they laughed and loved and lived before they grew old and gray. Now he sits alone in his room and the clock ticks away. Some amazing imagery there. Yeah, I love it. Together they enjoyed all life's beauty and all its fears. The lonely cry of his soul falls only on his ears. Each page's photo marked with the stain of his tears. Now, do you think Alex is putting himself in this situation of what it would be like if he lost his wife, let's say, how he would feel? Yeah, I think that's exactly what he's doing. Looking back as an older man, alone and grieving. Yeah. It's the worst thing that could happen to a person. He didn't know what to do. He didn't know what might come. Nothing was all that was left to him. Nothing was left when she was gone. Yeah. I mean, again, these are very self-explanatory lyrics, but they're also deep and very emotional. Yeah. Alex, Alex is an emotional guy. This is a dark, dark, dark record. Yeah, very dark. And I think he wanted it to be. His heart has a memory so strong, it remembers every right and every wrong on those pages of his long, lonely life. You can picture yourself thinking back when your wife's gone and thinking about every stupid thing you did to piss her off. Right. And feeling terrible about it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like not picking up that stuff on the floor, Jer. (laughs) Why didn't you do that? Why didn't you pick that stuff up? One time I left a pencil on the ground that dropped there just to see if anybody would pick it up. And I stepped over it for four or five days before I picked it up myself. Wow. You're you're (laughs) testing your family. I'm just, I was testing myself too to see just what would happen. (laughs) See how long you could go without picking it up. Right. He can only see his wife. He said, pluck out my eyes. He said, plug up my ears. He said, silence my tongue. He said, take away my empty years. Care to take a stab at that, Jer? Take away my empty years? I'm assuming it's the the years that are stretching out before him. Oh, the years to come. By himself, the years to come. Wow. But, you know, I, I really, I really like, I really like the way he delivers these lyrics. I just think he's a, he's doing a great job kind of whisper mm-hmm. talking these lyrics, which is what he does later on in Victor as well. Yeah. Like I said, I, I would love an entire album that's just like this. And, and these lyrics, I think, are my favorite on the record. One last wish to see her face. One last breath. He's calling out to death. One last look up at the sun as he picks up the gun, as he steadies the gun, as he finally aims the gun. Again, it's open-ended here. We don't know if he pulled the trigger. No, but he is calling out to death. So that's why I think, you know, 
he ends things right here rather than be alone. I'm going to stay positive and think he didn't do it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You do that, Steve. See, I mean, it fits in with the dark theme of this whole album, I think. Man, this is a depressing song. But for this person, now this is, this may be a a question I shouldn't be asking. Uh Uh-oh. But is it better for this person to pull the trigger or better for this person to not pull the trigger and suffer for God knows how long. Um, I don't know what to say. It's a decision that people have to make for themselves. If they're ever in that spot, I guess. Yeah. Something I really want to think about too. Man, this song is so dark. Yeah. It's, it, it's, so dark. it's really dark, but, but hopefully, yeah. hopefully you don't pull the trigger and you come out on the other side and you realize there's a reason to keep on living. Right. Yeah. That's true. There is that, you know, there is, the song just ends. Right. So it is, like you said, open-ended. He's leaving it to us to decide what happens here in this story. You're pulling the trigger. I'm not doing it. Not doing it? No. I wonder if this is some kind of litmus test (laughs) for our psychology. (laughs) Oh, boy. Boy, I'm feeling dark now, Steve. Good Lord. So we're halfway through this record, and I, I think we're going to have to pick up another episode here to finish this off, Jared. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's a good idea. All right, great. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Rush Fancast. Instagram, you can find us at The Rush Cast. Email Jerry, therushcast at gmail.com. Let him know what you thought of our commentary about Victor so far. Follow or subscribe via your favorite podcast app. The bass intro and outro, that is Lex. He's outstanding as usual. Jar, I hope you have a great quote to wrap this up for us. I do. I need you to hold me tightly in your arms. I need you to show me if I might be wrong. I am pink and you are blue. Can I trust my whole life to you? You sure can, Jar. Oh, thanks, Steve. <laughs> Talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you.